Pippa Dreams, Chapter 9 The cafe was deserted. The tables were all neatly laid and covered with red and white checked tablecloths. A little vase of flowers stood in the middle of each one. A homely fire burnt in one, corpe, in one corner, and the walls were covered in very tasteful wallpaper. A waiter slid smoothly up to Max and Neville. Max expected him to make the dog wait outside, but he led them across to a table for two that looked out across the harbour. Here we are, sir, he said, lifting Neville onto the chair opposite Max and tucking a napkin into his collar. And what would the young sirs like? Can I have some chips, please? asked Max. Chips? repeated the waiter, looking puzzled. One moment, please, sir. He hurried away and returned with the manager. My, ma my waiter tells me there's a teeny-weeny problem, said the manager. Perhaps I could be of help. Well, I'd like some chips, please, replied Max. And then, thinking that maybe they wouldn't serve chips on their own, he added, I'll have a fried egg too, if you like. Egg? said the waiter, looking even more puzzled. The manager and the waiter went off into the corner and muttered to each other for a while. Finally, the waiter came back to Max and handed him a menu. Perhaps sir would like to peruse today's menu, he said, and hurried off to a safe distance. Max looked at the menu. It was terribly creased and torn. One cover was completely missing, and the whole thing was covered in soup stains. Max read, Café Neville, soup of the day, soup of the yesterday, soup of the hour, soup of the century, soup of the lifetime, thin soup, fat soup, thick soup, intelligent soup, bread rolls, unavailable. He turned it over and read, soup of the nanosecond, soup of the entire history of the universe, up to 5pm yesterday, soup in the basket, soup in the hole, soup surprise, and soup predictable. At the bottom of the page, soup of the dog, and below this scribbled faintly in pencil were the words, soup of the grandmother's cat. Max looked up to find the waiter at his side with a freshly sharpened pencil poised over an order pad. The soup of the grandmother's cat, said Max. Ah, yes, our latest creation, replied the waiter. It's brand new, created to honour a special visitor. That's why it's written in pencil. Max peered in his bag at the compass. Beneath the glass, the needles were spinning incredibly fast. He put the compass on the table, and as the needles spun even faster, they began to hum, and the whole instrument rose into the air. It hovered just above the tablecloth. Max stared at it open-mouthed and said, Was this special visitor called Webster? From the kitchen came a crash, a splash, and a distant meow. The needles stopped spinning, and the compass fell back on the table. Max leapt to his feet and ran towards the kitchen. An old man stood slowly washing dishes at the sink. Have you seen a cat? said Max, looking all around the room. I'm 97 years old. Of course I've seen a cat. I've seen thousands of them, said the old man without even looking up. Would you care to order now, sir? said the waiter, as if nothing had happened. Can I have some intelligent soup? Max asked, liking the idea of food that could fill you up and make you clever at the same time. 
I'm afraid intelligent soup's off, sir, said the waiter, beginning to look worried again. Perhaps young sir would like soup of the day. It's very popular. Why can't I have intelligent soup? Well, sir, because it is intelligent, it makes sure no one ever drinks it, the waiter explained. Neville nodded. He didn't need telling. Do you mean no one can ever have intelligent soup? asked Max. Quite so, sir. Well, why is it on the menu then? Well, it looks posh, sir. Posh, sir. Shall I fetch you both some soup of the day? Okay, said Max, beginning to realise that he probably had a choice between soup of the day and no soup. The waiter opened a trapdoor in the floor and lowered a small bucket into the sea. When he pulled it up again, it was full of vegetable soup, which he poured into a saucepan and heated up. Here we are, sir, soup of the day, announced the waiter with a flourish. Max picked out an Australian stamp from his bowl and ate his meal. It turned out to be the nicest soup he had ever tasted, even if he did find two more stamps in it. Neville seemed to like the soup as much as Max and licked his bowl clean. Several groups of tired choppers came in and all ordered soup of the day, except for one man who ordered my usual and got the same as all the others. One old lady asked for a cup of tea and was given soup in a cup and saucer. Max realised that there hadn't been any prices on the menu. He was worried that the 50 cents he had in his pocket might not be enough to pay for the meal. Excuse me, he said to the waiter as he passed. Can you tell me how much the soup is? I beg your pardon, sir. The soup, how much is it? I've only got 50 cents. Oh, you mean money, exclaimed the waiter. Several other diners looked across at Max and smiled, that really annoying smile that old people use to try and prove that they are cleverer than young people when they're not. The waiter pulled up a chair and sat down. You haven't been here before, have you, sir? He inquired. No, Max replied. I came on the submarine. Quite so, said the waiter. Well, let me explain, sir. We don't have money here anymore. But how do you buy anything? asked Max. It's like this. One day someone noticed in the change he'd been given that there was a coin he had spent at least ten times before. He knew it was the same one because on the portrait of King Trevor, bless him, there was a bit of his moustache missing in the shape of an ostrich. He thought that if the ostrich coin, as it had become known, had been around in a circle at least ten times, then probably all the money on the island had. So he got a big computer to work out what would happen if all the money stood still. And Hull, the cleverest computer in the universe, said nothing would happen, so we all stopped using money. That's all there is to it. But how do you buy things? Max asked, more confused than ever. You don't buy things, you just go and get them. If I want a pair of socks, I go to the clothes shop and they give me them. And when the man from the clothes shop wants his lunch, I give him a meal. Supposing someone wants more than someone else, it wouldn't be fair then, said Max. Well, there were one or two people like that at first. They were mostly accountants and bank managers, but we soon sorted them out by giving them all our money. They stopped. That stopped them complaining immediately. When they realised the money was useless, they weren't quite so pleased. 
In the end, they all went off to another island and took their banks with them. All the policemen went too, because we didn't need them anymore either, explained the waiter. If Hal is the cleverest computer in the universe, why did he let himself sink to the bottom of the sea when the submarine sank? Max asked. He didn't, said the waiter. He wasn't actually on the submarine. That was just him talking over the radio. I'd have thought you would know all about Hull. Why? Your father built him. Wow. Max had never thought of that. His father had done stuff with computers. That was his job. He'd built the one Max had in his bedroom. But he didn't realize his dad had been so clever that he could build the cleverest computer in the universe. If Hull was so brilliant, it would be like his father's own thoughts might be inside it, kind of living forever. As he didn't have to pay for anything, Max decided he would have a dessert. A quick look at the sweet menu soon made him change his mind. He didn't fancy soup trifle, soup yogurt, soup sorbet, or spotted soup pudding. So while Neville had a soup sorbet followed by soup trifle, Max stared out the window across the harbour. There were several boats with special nets fishing for peas and mixed vegetables. Incredibly fat seagulls bopped about on the waves, too full of soup to get themselves up in the air. Beyond the harbour, he could see yellow lanterns gently flickering as the boats coming home for the night rocked on the, on the lazy waves. Dragonflies skimming the soup hovered and then were gone. Birds came in to roost for the night. And round the town, curtains were drawn and lamps were lit. A slight chill crept across the land, making Max shiver. When he'd woken up that morning, he hadn't expected to end up in a strange seaside town in... Well, he didn't actually know where he was. The way things, the way things had been happening, he could be on another planet for all he knew. Or back home in bed having a very, very long dream. But wherever it was, it was beautiful. And the peaceful feeling that had started to come to him when he got off the train yesterday returned. The place was growing on him. Or, more likely, he was growing into the place. He was learning to ask the right questions and throw away the wrong ones. A tiny pink sailing boat, far out to sea, came nearer and nearer. It disappeared behind some rocks, and a few minutes later came through the harbour entrance. The small sailor pulled down the sail and rowed across the harbour to the quay. It was the sandwich girl. Max grabbed Neville, who was on his third pudding, and ran down to meet her. It was getting dark, and Max, knowing he hadn't the faintest idea how he was going to get back home, never mind find his grandmother or her cat, hoped that maybe the sandwich girl would be able to help him. Chapter 10 the street was filled with people rushing towards the harbour. Surely they weren't all going to meet the sandwich girl, thought Max. Perhaps in this place where anything seemed possible, by some miracle they had rescued the submarine. He ran along with the crowd, turned a sharp corner and bumped straight into the sandwich girl, who seemed to be the only person in the whole street walking in the opposite direction. Here, she said, holding out a notebook and a pencil, you forgot this. Max knew it would be too much trouble to ask her what they were for, so he took them and put them in his bag. Would you like a sandwich? she asked him. No thanks, I've just had some soup. 
Come on, said Max, trying to rush off. What are you running for? she asked, trying to keep up with him. I think they've rescued the submarine. Don't be silly. It's all floated away in little pieces. Max stopped running. Well, why is everyone washing down to the harbour? Oh, that's just Captain Pinkbeard coming back. I wouldn't bother hurrying for that. It'll be ages before the galleon even gets here. It's miles away, said the sandwich girl. Now, do you want a sandwich? Although he'd just eaten the soup, he really did fancy something full of sugar, like a thick sandwich bulging and dripping with strawberry jam. Neville must have read his thoughts because he jumped up and stuck his nose into the little girl's basket. Hello, Neville, said the sandwich girl, leaning down and patting him. She knelt down next to the little dog and whispered, Did he get the compass? Neville nodded. Have you got any of those strawberry jam sandwiches? Max asked, his mouth beginning to water in anticipation. No. Well, what about raspberry jam? No. Honey? No. Oh, don't tell me, said Max. Soup? The sandwich girl nodded. Soup sandwiches, said Max. Yeah. Is that all you've got? Haven't you got anything else? Oh, yes, I've got these, answered the little girl, fishing around in her basket and pulling out a grubby brown bag. Great, said Max, eyeing the paper bag. I'll have those. What are they? He thought he could smell strawberry jam, but it was just his nose playing tricks on his brain. Soup rolls. I'm not very hungry, actually. I think I'll go down to the harbour. Please yourself, stupid, said the sandwich girl. Down on the harbour, the crowd was gathering. Max recognised a few faces. The children had new balloons with grinning pirate faces painted on them. The officials had clean red jackets, and even the little dogs had shiny new collars on. Everyone was pointing and waving as a huge galleon rounded the point and entered the harbour. Max found himself standing next to the waiter from the cafe. He had a tray of frozen soup lollies, which he was handing out to the children. Excuse me, said Max. Is Captain Pinkbeard a pirate? Of course, said the waiter. He's the official pirate. Oh, said Max, not wanting to appear too ignorant. In the bad old days I told you about before, you know, when we had money and all sorts of trouble, we had a horrible pirate called Captain Blackbeard. When we got rid of the money and all the other nasty things, he went too. Then his cousin, Captain Pinkbeard, became the official pirate. He's ever so popular. Max thought for a bit as he watched the galleon draw closer and then said, I thought pirates were bad and did terrible things to people, like making them walk the plank and stealing all their gold. Well, yes, they're supposed to, said the waiter. But we don't have gold anymore, and the official plank is now kept in the paddling pool. Captain Pinkbeard uses it when children have been very naughty. He makes them walk the plank with their socks and shoes on, and they spend the rest of the day with wet feet. He doesn't sound very fierce, said Max. Well, he isn't, said the waiter. Would you rather have the old days when we had robberies and crime and Captain Blackbeard attacking everyone? Of course not, said Max. Idiot, said the sandwich girl who had pushed her way through the crowd and was trying to pick up Neville who didn't want to be picked up by someone so small who might accidentally drop him into the harbour. 
When the galleon was safely moored, the door opened and a huge pirate came out to tumultuous cheers. He stood on the deck, resplendent in his official state pirate uniform, proud, a bit overweight, and over two metres tall with a huge pink beard that had several birds nesting in it. Ladies, gentlemen, children, dogs, seagulls, cats, and grandmothers, announced Captain Pinkbeard in a deep, booming voice. As you know, I was sent by our glorious leader, loud cheers, King Trevor the 441st, or is it second, to sail the seven seas. Well, there's good news, there were more cheers, and bad news. Max waited, watching the pirate's hands. He expected at any moment to see one of them plunge into his pocket and come out with a glove puppet. He was not to be disappointed. In fact, both hands shot up in the air, each wearing a likeness of the captain. He's got a split personality, whispered the waiter by way of explanation. The good news announced the left hand with no attempt on the part of Captain Pinkbeard to stop his lips moving. For all of you who can't count is that there is only one Z. The bad news announced the right hand. For everyone who can count is that there is only one C. The captain thanked his hands, put them away, and told the crowd that DNA testing had proved that there were indeed seven C's, but they'd all got mixed up together, and that it would take a special scientist with a special scientific sieve to separate them again. We sailed round and round for a long time, looking high and low, but could only find one sea, so we came home, your majesty. The crowd parted, and the king was lifted up onto the ship by his two nurses. He was wearing a crown down round his eyes, and a coat that was at least five sizes too big for him. He bestowed a bag of royal toffees, soup-flavoured, the only flavour, on Captain Pinkbeard, and then made an announcement. Ladies and everyone else, he proclaimed. In honour of our noble captain's safe return, there will be a sea shanty writing competition. Prizes will be incredible. The crowd was beside itself, which made the harbour very crowded indeed. The first prize, the king continued, will be masses and masses of being famous and universally adored by one and all. Also, a bag of royal toffees every Christmas for life. The crowd gasped and oohed and ahed at this show of generosity. King Trevor, now overwhelmed by an attack of sanity, continued. The second prize will be quite a bit of being pretty well known and recognised in the street, and a bag of toffees every February the 29th. Once again, the crowd gasped. Here and there, eager people slipped away, no doubt to begin writing. The third prize will be being talked about a bit for a week or two, and there will be 25 runner-up prizes of the Guinness Book of Soup. The king's crown, as well as being over as oversized as his coat, was all bent and battered. Some of the points were completely broken off, and others were twisted right round and had toffees impaled on them. From time to time, the king reached up and fumbled blindly round for a toffee. The points were obviously very sharp because half his fingers were covered in band-aids. Max noticed that there was soft black fur in the top of the crown. He looked at his compass. It was turning. 
As he edged his way towards the king, the compass turned faster. Webster was there, hiding on the king's head. But what could Max do? He could hardly rush up and grab her. Someone whispered in the king's ear, and he popped a toffee in his mouth and said, The closing date will be half past tomorrow morning, and don't forget to include four packet tops, three socks, and all's well. The king whispered to an official who announced, If there are any boys aged 12 years and 73 days called Max, they are summoned to the royal palace for supper and a game of Super Scrabble with His Majesty and the beautiful Princess Cream Tea. Before Max could ask a question, the king was lifted into the air and carried triumphantly away. As he passed Max, he looked down at him and gave him a quick wink. Webster crouched down out of sight. Creep, sneered the sandwich girl, appearing at Max's shoulder. They've never asked me to their rotten palace. Well, he's my grandfather, explained Max, not wishing to upset the little girl in case he needed her help in getting home. Liar, said the girl scornfully. You can come with me if you like, suggested Max. I'm sure my grandfather wouldn't mind. Really? she said, becoming suddenly friendly. Yes, and you can show me the way. Well, all right then, come on, said the sandwich girl, and ran off down the nearest alleyway. The buildings were so close together that the sky was almost hidden. As the sandwich girl and Neville ran down narrower and narrower alleys, turning first left, then right, deeper and deeper into the town, Max kept close to their heels. If he'd dropped back for a second, he would have lost them. The little girl never faltered. At every turn, she knew exactly where to go, as if she had been there a thousand times before, which, of course, she had. She was so sure of her way that Max reckoned she could have done it blindfold. I could do this blindfold, said the sandwich girl, finally stopping by a green door halfway down John Rosewood Alley. And so could Neville. Neville nodded. They had run so far, so fast, that Max had to lean against the wall to get his breath back. The sandwich girl didn't seem in the slightest bit tired. You need to get more exercise, she said, reaching up and opening the door. Neville nodded again. Inside there was an old black motorbike and sidecar. The sandwich girl climbed onto the saddle and jumped down onto the kickstart with a great yell. As the engine roared into life, Neville sprang into the sidecar and the little girl drove the bike out into the alley. Shut the door, she shouted, and get in!